Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. ESPN Radio. All hair bands are not created equal. It's actually kind of too bad that Motley Crue had to had to do that. They they were sort of like the creators of it, the, the makeup and the long hair and all that stuff. And then everybody copied them, and then they became like a parody of themselves because they were the leaders of the pack. Oh, the irony! But make no mistake, some of Botley Crew's stuff is so hardcore. It's such hardcore heavy metal, and I love it. I, I just I just think that they are uh, underrated because of a lot of the drama, the personal drama of the band members, and you know whether it was the you know I mean sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what it is. That's what it was. I sometimes think that they get a little bit undercut though, because they were actually musically superior to uh, a great many of their other sort of hair band arena rock type contemporaries. Come on, it's Dow ESPN Radio. Thanks for hanging out with us as we dive in here to hour number two. We do this every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. If you ever miss anything in this show, you can always find it on the Nuanas Now podcast. Appreciate all the engagement so far today. We've had all sorts of... Uh, engagement today because we've had all sorts of topics that you're suggesting that we talk about. And it was all part of our Tag Tuesday uh, entries. So we appreciate that. <laughs> a couple more that have come in uh, since the break. Monty, I'm assuming they're, they're saying Monty, the, the mascot of the University of Montana. Monty, de- demonstrating floating etiquette and safety. Maybe people would actually listen to him. Uh, I, this has actually been a big talking point, river etiquette. One of our great friends, Todd Frank, who is the uh, the owner of the, the trailhead, he does his uh, own river report throughout the spring and summer. It's about a minute long, a couple of minutes sometimes. We run it on the trail, 103.3, Montana's Quality Rock. But it, I've had a couple times where I've gotten the chance to record Todd, and I get to listen to him and, and engage with him. It's a big talking point. It, don't be... A dingbat on the river. I just just have some etiquette. There needs to be some etiquette. I totally. I mean, the rivers are getting so full and packed. 
But you got to know how to get the boat on, the boat off, how to use the ramp, when are you getting in, when are you getting out, how's everybody doing? So uh, it, I know this is a tongue-in-cheek text, but it's also a good one. Baseball Hall of Fame snubs, that's also uh, an evergreen talk radio subject for the uh, the summertime for sure. And then just some feedback on one of our Treasure State stars, Brianna Williams, the Montana Gatorade Player of the Year. She committed uh, to Maryland over the weekend, building Skyview senior-to-be. And uh, the only two Montanans I could think of in the modern era that have gone to the ACC to play basketball, Williams, who's on her way, as well as uh, Raquan Evans, who's also a building Skyview product, went to North Idaho College and then uh, made his way to Florida State where he played in back-to-back NCAA tournaments for Leonard, Leonard Hamilton Seminoles uh, there in Florida. But this uh, this listener says, Raquan Evans and Brianna Williams each lucked out with great coaches at Skyview, and each of those coaches only coached for a few years. Uh, Coach Morales, Wes Morales, did a great job at Skyview, had them ultra-competitive for a handful of years and then uh, decided to walk away. And then Brett Montague, who was also a great coach there at Skyview. We had him on after Skyview won the uh, Girls' State Championship two years ago. Uh, he resigned at the end of this year uh, as well. So uh, it's been – I do think it's sort of a coincidence. I don't think there's really any tie that binds, but it certainly has been a storyline how there's been so much turnover in basketball – at the double-A level in buildings, especially in girls' basketball. West, Senior, and Skyview, all three had coaching changes this last offseason, which is even more interesting because Skyview won the state championship two years ago and West won the state championship this last year. So there are a lot of success associated with those schools, uh, but some turnover in the coaching ranks. So uh, we will definitely follow up on that. I do think catching up with Coach Morales or Coach Montague would certainly be interesting on uh, a variety of fronts. Any and everything, though, you can find from today's first hour on the Nuanas Now podcast, probably presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com, as well as the M Store, where they're all grizz all the time, and the MSU Bookstore, your best place to win, uh, to uh, to buy blue and gold anytime you are on the, uh, the Montana State campus, game day or any other day uh, there at the MSU Bookstore. Visit msubookstore.org. Andrew, uh, do you have any thoughts on the scheduling? I know you're, you're you always are sort of making fun of the the people to get all pumped up about the the scheduling. Andrew Houghton joining us, by the way, EB Craney Award winning Andrew Houghton, our producer here, but also contributor to our sports coverage of the year. So, congrats again. What uh, what do you think of these kickoff times? I know the Cats solidified most of them. The Grizz have solidified about half of them. Does this move the needle at all? No, not really. I mean, it's a little bit more interesting to me just because uh, I'm going to a lot of those games, and you got to kind of try and plan it out. I think it'd be interesting to, uh, you know, talk to some administrators about why uh, there are so many night kickoffs these days, because I think you you have some theories, uh, but I, I would be interested to hear, like, do their figures show that they're making increased revenue? Well, do their figures how. show that the marketing with the you know the stadium under the lights is actually providing a monetary benefit? Sure, I I just don't really know how you make, especially if you're Montana State. Like, how do you make any more revenue if you're Montana State unless you expand your stadium? Like, they sell every ticket that you can sell plus more. I mean, they're the only team in college football that, to my knowledge, that has averaged. More than 100% capacity in a season, and they've done it a couple times. The stadium officially holds 17,777 
They've averaged over 18,000 fans per game over the last two years. They've had multiple crowds of over 19,000 because they put these standing room only tickets in there. Unless you expand the stadium, you can't get any more people in that stadium. The Washington Grizz, now while it's it's pretty close to a sellout most of the time, it's not quite actually packed to the gills. 26,500 fans. A lot of times it's 25,000 and change. So the Grizz, they can maybe sell those extra eight, 900 tickets, 1,000 tickets, whatever it might be when it's a night game. But I would just love to see sort of just the 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 cost-benefit analysis, you know, the market analysis of this, right? I do think that you strike while the iron's hot for sure. You know, the Gold Rush is an incredibly popular game at Montana State. They they always try to set the stadium record for attendance on that evening, and they, they either get close or they do it. That's objectively good for your athletic department. So, you know, I, I, I don't argue with a lot of these decisions, but there also is this pending breaking point coming in both Bozeman and Missoula, but I think Bozeman a lot more. So many Bobcat fans come in from out of town. Now, a lot of them have RVs and campers or places to stay. It's great. There's also so many people that don't have places to stay. Forever, there's a lot of people that probably frequented and were regulars at local hotels in Bozeman. Well, have you seen the hotel prices in Bozeman? They're more absurd than the real estate prices in Bozeman. That's, uh, That's detrimental because what happens if you lose a chunk of or even a significant portion of your regular uh, game attendees because they don't have anywhere to stay? It hasn't affected them yet. Montana State sold out all their season tickets so far. Uh, Montana is also getting close to have sold out all their season tickets. Hotel prices in Missoula, while more affordable than Bozeman, certainly are nowhere close to as affordable as they used to be and nowhere close to being deemed as affordable. So I don't know. There's, there's the give and take here, right? I think day games cater to stimulating the local economy better because people can go out before and after the game. Night games, nobody's really going out after the game. There's not that many places that serve food in either town. You know, maybe people are going out to the bars more, but I don't, you know, to actually have a real, I mean, there's some economic impact to people going out to the bars for sure, but restaurants are going to make a lot more money for the local economy just because, you know, I mean, you know how it goes. You sit down, you eat, you're going to spend way more money on the check than if you're drinking, unless you're, you know, really getting after it. But I digress. I don't know. I I get why night games are so popular. I think at places like Virginia Tech and LSU, and you can have a night game on national TV and bring massive exposure to your program, that's great. I think that the Cats playing under the lights at Hornet Stadium, I think that's great. The Grizz playing a night game at the Kibbe Dome on national TV, that's awesome. I, I can't argue with that. It's when they put the Ferris State and Cal Poly games at night, right? Like, the Cats are going to play Cal Poly at a night game this year in Bozeman. Why? There is no TV flex there. You're going to sell probably the same amount of tickets no matter what time that game is at. I just don't get it. Ferris State for the Grizz. Why? If you have a home game on the schedule, then in September, why not maximize the, the nice weather? I don't know. I I, 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 I am uh, definitely uh, salty about this, but I know a lot of people do enjoy them. If you enjoy night games, let us know, 406-888-1029, and tell us why. Um. 
All right, so here's what we were talking about a year ago. The Big Sky Conference pressure cooker. Who has no pressure? Who has a little bit of pressure? Who has extreme pressure? Who is in the pressure cooker this year when it comes to Big Sky Conference football programs? This is exactly what we talked about a year ago today. Here's how we had it last year. Our no-pressure category, I had Idaho coming into Jason X first year. Idaho State because they uh, had already had a fallout and they were under a first-year head coach in Charlie Raggle. And Weber State, because Weber State had been uh, the, the perennial power for a handful of years in the big sky. They were expected to be good last year, and they were. They made the playoffs, but not necessarily the top of the league. So I thought that you know, sort of being a little bit underrated was going to be a good thing for Weber, and I think that turned out to be true. I think Weber was was very competitive a year ago, and then certainly a, a playoff team. Our, our uh, just, quote-unquote, a little pressure category included Portland State, UC Davis, and Cal Poly. Then our, for sure there's some pressure category, included Eastern Washington, Northern Arizona, and Northern Colorado because Ed McCaffrey was going into such a pivotal year. He no longer is there at Northern Colorado. And then our high-pressure category was Montana State. Montana, because there's always high pressure at Montana, Montana State. That's just what it is. And then Sacramento State. Sac State coming in as the two-time defending conference champions last year. Well, they certainly proved it, and they were uh, they fulfilled they, they handled the pressure really well. They went undefeated in the league again and won the a share of the Big Sky t- title for the third year in a row. So certainly they handled the pressure as good as anybody. Here's how I got it penciled out this year, though. My no pressure category. I got Idaho State because it's a complete overhaul again with Cody Hawkins taking over. Charlie Raggle, one and done after one win at Idaho State. I can't imagine a worse tenure, honestly. I mean, it's about as bad as a coaching hire could go. I know there's a lot of extenuating circumstances. Raggle had health issues. Um, I don't know if he knew what he was getting into there at Pocatello. But that's also no excuse. I do think Cody Hawkins has a much um, deeper grasp of what his challenges are there at Idaho State, but I also think he's way less brash than Charlie Raggle. So I think that, he, you know, I mean, last year, Raggle was telling people that anybody that would listen that he thought that Idaho State was going to be very competitive and maybe even a playoff contender last year. That's not even close to true. Whereas Hawkins, last time he was on this show, he's like, yeah, we know this is a huge rebuild. We know we're going to have a hard time being competitive next year. We just got to keep our nose to the grindstone and keep going. So I think that that, uh, this year alone for Idaho State, I don't think anybody expects him to do anything at all. Like, I bet Idaho State is picked to lose every single one of their games. They might have a D2 early on their schedule. I don't have it right in front of me, but I I would imagine that they'll be the, the underdogs in at least nine, if not 10 or 11 uh, of their games. The other two teams in the uh, no-pressure category, I got Northern Colorado because I just think that Ed Lamb uh, is going to do a lot better job of explaining the process of rebuilding that program than Ed McCaffrey ever did. McCaffrey thought he was just going to bring in a whole bunch of drop-downs and uh, just run it, and that just wasn't the case. Lamb, I think, knows how to build a program. He did it at Southern Utah to great success, and I think he's going to do that again uh, there at UNC, but I do think he has a lot of leeway because I think it's such a huge rebuild. And then I think Cal Poly. And, and, you know, you might say, okay, that's pretty linear, Coulter. you got the three worst teams in the league as the three teams with no pressure, but they all have new head coaches as well. So I think that when you were as bad as Idaho State, Northern Colorado, and Cal Poly were, and then you have 
change in the leadership, and the change in the leadership is is very much different than the the guys that preceded you, especially Idaho State, Northern Colorado. Cal Poly will be interesting to see because they do have a veteran uh, Big Sky head coach in Paul Wolf. He was a great coach at Eastern Washington, but he hasn't been a head coach in the league for close to two decades. And just from what we saw last year in Cal Poly, I thought they just had the f- the farthest gap to actually be competitive in terms of talent. They were really rough on defense last year. I mean, they, they just did not have a lot of big sky caliber guys, guys that could be true standouts in the big sky. So I just think they have a long ways to go. But, I mean, I don't know. Andrew, what do you think? Is this a cop-out to saying that the no-pressure teams are the three worst teams that all have first-year head coaches? Yeah, because, the, I mean, you said it really well. They're they're at rock bottom, right? That's there's, right. There's no pressure there. Um, I think that... There's there's probably a lot better perspective around those programs when when you've hit. I mean, that's Idaho State's been bad for a long time. Northern Colorado's been bad for a long time. I yeah. think that what they what they had last year, like on and off the field, is disastrous. I mean, it's disastrous. Charlie Rago literally didn't coach in a couple. He he had to not coach in several games. He was while incredibly entertaining. Certainly a liability at the very least in those postgame press conferences. Yeah. I mean, there's that's no way to rebuild a team. You can't just be a first-year head coach and just be completely trashing your your team in the postgame. And then McCaffrey's shenanigans and, you know, everything from the, the empowerment of his sons to the uh, endless string of transfers in and out of the program to then all the other stuff that we heard and that was reported on by the Greeley Tribune about, you know, these guys aren't coming to practice. Ed McCaffrey's calling in saying he's too much snow to drive to Greeley from Denver. And, like, I mean, that's just a calamity. I, I have no clue what, how Northern Colorado is going to be. I have no clue how Ed Lamb is going to be being back in the Big Sky Conference in terms of success. I can 100% guarantee you with certainty that Ed Lamb shows up to football practice every single day at Northern Colorado. So it's an objective improvement from a program standpoint there at UNC. Yeah, and, and I mean, just generally, like, as I wrote last year about Ed McCaffrey and, and Bo Baldwin, I mean the first the first year is about you can put out all your big ideas that's out right, there. You right. can put out all the optimism you want. That's great. It's not until the second year when the results and the work really start mattering. So it's it's all good for those programs. I, I also think that Cal Poly ironically actually gets a, a lot of uh Bo Baldwin's one of the winningest coaches of Big Sky Conference history. But when you hire one of the winningest coaches of Big Sky Conference history, you expect him to win like that again. Paul Wolf won in the Big Sky. He definitely did at Eastern Washington, but he was way more in on the foundation of building that Eastern program up. And then he handed it off to Baldwin, and Baldwin took it to the top level, made them a top five program in the country. Wolf, I think, is actually a better uh, personality and. Uh, a better, I guess what I'm saying is, Bo Baldwin is a program accelerator. He's a guy that take. He's a guy that takes you from good to great, great to elite. I think that Wolf has a better chance of re- actually rebuilding it. I don't know. Baldwin never really was in on a rebuild. He was the OC there under Wolf, so he certainly had a hand in it. But I, I guess you get sort of lofty expectations when you have such a brand name like it. I just think it's ironic that all three Idaho State, Northern Colorado, and Cal Poly had headline making coaches last year. Guys that were very, very uh, intriguing within their personalities, uh, but I actually think they have better fits for their three head coaching jobs uh, right now uh, than they did a year ago. In my, there's a little bit of pressure category. I got Portland State because it's just the same old, same old. 
Bruce Barnum had the, the breakthrough year in 2015, and everybody's been waiting for him to do it again. He did it with a whole bunch of transfers in 2015 and an inherited roster from Nigel Burton. And then after that, they tried to rebuild the whole thing from the ground up, putting a way higher priority on high school talent. Well, now here you are in, in year, what, nine? And they haven't been any good since then. How do you change it? What does it mean for football in Portland? There's just there's this this omnipresent question. What is the future of football at Portland State? How much does Bruce Barnum's success and the football program's success dictate the decisions that will be made about the football program at Portland State? So I think there's always going to be a little pressure with that job, uh, even though you know Portland State's been to the the playoffs what twice uh, since they moved up to Division One in 1996. But there's there's gonna just there's always gonna be this lingering pressure just because of the uncertain future of the football program. They don't have a, a stadium. So what does that mean for for what's next? How do you sustain? I don't I don't know. I don't know. But also, how much does the success of the Vikings have to do with their sustainability as a football program? I don't know. Two, I guess three more in my there's a little pressure category. UC Davis, because they have been a playoff team three times since Dan Hawkins took over uh, eight years ago. But is there an expectation to be in the playoffs year in and year out at UC Davis? Or if they just win more than they lose, is that okay? Is that just sort of the, the you know, it's, it's, it, they're chilling in California. Is it just, if there's eight and four every year and then every once in a while they make the playoffs, is that good enough? Does anybody care enough to put pressure on UC Davis football? I, I don't know. Weber State, I think, is in a little bit of pressure because they have been very good. I don't think if they fell completely off the map and, you know, were like a three-win team, first of all, that would surprise me. But second of all, I think that that would really raise some eyebrows with Mickey Mental as a first-year head coach there at Weber. But I, I don't think that'll be the case. I think if Weber is okay this year, then then people will be okay with Mickey Mental, and then I think they'll have to, to be back to being good next year. Uh, but they just can't be bad. So I think they have a little pressure, but not a lot. And then at Sac State, uh, I think the standard's been set there because Troy Taylor did such a great job, but I also think there's a little bit of leeway. There's a little bit of rope there for Andy Thompson. On one hand, he's a proven Big Sky Conference name and a guy that's had success in the league as a defensive coordinator. But on the other hand, he's taken over for the greatest coach in Sac State history, even though Troy Taylor was only there for three years. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if there's a fundamental uh, philosophy change. Thompson's a defensive guy. Taylor was an offensive guy. All indications are that Thompson's going to turn the reins over to uh, the offensive side of the ball, and he's just going to do the defense. But how does that work? I mean, Troy Taylor was, was I mean, he was such a great offensive play caller and had such outside-the-box ideas that I think that he was worth, you know, he was worth multiple scores a game just because of his offensive acumen and his ability to call plays. So... How does Sac State replicate that? Even if they're great on defense with their defensive head coach, Sac State had such a intrinsic advantage with their mad scientist play call and head coach these last three years, and they won a whole bunch of games because of that. So how uh, how do they replicate that success? How do they meet the standard that has been set? So I think that there's a, a, quite a few groups in that, uh, a little bit of pressure group. Any comments on any of those ones, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, just to sort of reiterate the 
point that I made last year when we were talking about this. I think I think you could make the argument for that for schools like UC Davis and, and Sacramento State, the pressure is a little bit ratcheted up just because of where they are as a program. Uh, and and what I said last year is those are a couple of schools that that might be able to move up to the FBS if if things go right for them because they have. The endowment, they have the student enrollment numbers. They have certainly uh, the media markets there, particularly at a place like Sacramento State. I just think that adds a little bit of pressure every year because you have to have a good a good product to sell. I think Dan Hawkins being at UC Davis just sort of ratchets. It's a little it's a little added notch of pressure for them every year just because Dan Hawkins is like at one point he was one of the most famous head football coaches in the country. No, for sure, but don't you think though that there's a little leeway there because it is his alma mater and and cuz he's Dan Hawkins? Like Dan Hawkins is a Davis guy. He talks like a Davis guy. All the Davis guys believe in Dan Hawkins cuz that's what he is, you know what I mean? Like he just seems like when he can preach to the choir which deflects a lot of pressure from him. Yeah, and I guess I, if we're talking about the pressure pressure on the coaches as far as as whether they're going to keep their job, is their seat hot? Right. I, I would agree with you. I would just say that that ratchets up the pressure around the program, right? right because right. there's, uh, you know, there's probably going to be a little bit more media attention around them if they make a run because Dan Hawkins is there. Yep. Uh, I I just think it. They do have some premier games this year too. They play both the Montana schools, which helps yep. them a lot. They haven't had both Montana schools in quite some time. And the. The Causeway Classic sort of broke through last year. I think it was it, definitely a, it, it was an attendance record for Sac State. And, and you're talking for the first time in, in the history of their Division One rivalry. Because, you know, Sac State's been D1 since 96. And Davis has been D1 since, what, I think 2008? But the Causeway Classic, it's been played close to 70 times. But last year was the first time in the in its history where both teams were were really good and potentially playoff teams. If that is again the case this year, that that's really good for the rivalry. Yep. It's really good for the Big Sky. Yep. Uh, last thing on on this one, and uh, just you, you'll just have to run through the high pressure teams real quickly after this. But sort of uh, to break into that discussion a little bit, you've got Idaho listed as as high pressure. Oh yeah, I would have them down in 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 this group. I think okay, that little pressure. The run that a little bit of pressure. There's definitely pressure there more more than they had. Uh, you know, not more than the program had because now they've established a standard of success. Don't think there's a ton of pressure on Jason Eck next year because I don't think, I mean, sort of like with Davis, I don't think they're going to, or Weber, I don't think they're going to be objectively bad. You want to know who's going to put a bunch of pressure on Idaho? Who's that? The followers of Montana and Montana State. Sure. Because that makes up the biggest contingent of the Big Sky Conference fan base. They also, I think that, there's a love-hate. I think that Cat and Grizz fans love that Idaho's back in the league and love that Idaho's good, and they also hate that Idaho's good. And I know for a fact Grizz fans hate that Idaho's ranked ahead of them right now in the preseason polls. Who else in the big sky has high pressure? We'll discuss tomorrow because we got to get out. We got a footy 15, courtesy of Andrew Houghton, an excerpt from Soccer in Snow and Smoke, a podcast series presented by Missoula Broadcasting. That's next. Footy 15 coming at you. New on us now, ESPN Radio. 
Are you having a bad day? Did you get hurt and it wasn't your fault? Are you in trouble? No matter what has you down, you can take action and help yourself by letting Schulte Law Firm help you. Schulte Law Firm litigates injury, criminal, and civil matters, providing expert advocacy in any situation. Here with Dwight Schulte from Schulte Law Firm, when it comes to criminal defense, what's an example of why someone could or should call Schulte Law? Criminal defense happens on somebody's worst day, you know, and it doesn't mean that someone's a bad person. We all make mistakes. We all make choices that maybe aren't the best choice. And that can lead to dramatic consequences in somebody's life. So we're really focusing on personal injury and criminal defense. We do a lot of different areas of the law, though. We have a strong background in real estate. Um, we handle family law for clients, ton of mediations. The ultimate reality is, is that people have bad days and that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want. If you've had a bad day, visit jschultilaw.com. Hey! He's new on his now on 102.9 ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television. Dan Morrison, man. Is he underrated? I I somehow think he's underrated, but then there's so many people that love him, so maybe he's not. I don't know. So good, though. What a great songwriter. Come on, now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. Soccer in Snow and Smoke is a podcast series created by Andrew Houghton and produced, hosted by our producer here at ESPN Radio. Uh, It's a great podcast series. He he, uh, touches on soccer on all levels. High school, college, professional, all with a Montana flavor. And we have a a fun one this week where we touch on some behind-the-scenes folks. Specifically, uh, an an official. I'll let you set this one up, Andrew. Who is this week's guest on Soccer and Snow and Smoke? Yeah, I I really struck gold with this one, Coulter. This is an idea that I've had for uh, a month or two, a couple months. There was a great piece a couple months back in The Guardian or one of those English newspapers about the life of a referee in the Premier League, and it was just fascinating the way that they're graded, the way that they, how much they put into it, and, and what the consequences are. I mean, soccer is a game where one call can have an outsized impact on the result. I mean, it's not a bowler oh, yeah. strike or even a safer out call in baseball. That's right. If you're calling a penalty or not, right, in a game where there's there might only be one goal in the entire game, right, it can influence the game so much. Uh, so I had the idea to talk to a referee. Uh, at at some point, I asked one of my friends who uh, who he thought the best referee in the state was, uh, and he gave me the name of, of Jordan Brown, who's originally from Great Falls. Uh, she's been refereeing since she was eight. Her parents were both referees. Wow, cool. As soon as she graduated high school, which made her eligible to start refereeing high school games, she started refereeing high school games. I mean, she's worked at some very prestigious national tournaments. Uh, so all that would have been great. But what I discovered when I was talking with Jordan on Monday, uh, she's also just really engaging, mm. very enthusiastic about it, uh, willing to talk. So I, I had a great conversation with Jordan, this is just a little excerpt from it, but you can, of course, find the full podcast uh, if by searching Soccer and Snow and Smoke. Please rate, review, subscribe. Five stars on all your favorite podcast channels, but here's just a little excerpt of my conversation with Jordan Brown. Jordan Brown joining us for Soccer and Snow and Smoke, a woman who's refereed all around the state since she was eight years old. Um, she's been doing it for a long time. Walk me through how you prepare for a game, what you're doing leading up to it, how much you study the teams, 
what your routine is as you're going into a game. Absolutely. Um, so to be you know, best prepared for a match, you figure out the teams, uh, what, who the teams are, and then you kind of go and you figure out their stats. When was their last yellow card? When was the last red card? Which player was it? Um, what issues are they having? Talk to other referees that have refereed those teams. See if there were issues when those teams played each other or if there was just issues when that team played in general. Um, you want to find, and it's not to say that we're just going to be like, you know, buggering down on one player and only watching them if they were the most previous, you know, recent issue. Um, it's just things that you want to have in your tool belt so that you're prepared if and when something were to occur. Um, so you want to look at all of those types of reports that say, you know, good things, bad things about these players and teams and, and just kind of their standings um, to see if the game has any, you know, weight to it, if it's um, a qualifier match or if it's just a friendly um, and other than that, you talk to your other referees, let them know what time to be there, um, ask if anyone needs anything, kind of make a game plan, and then you get all your fuel ready for the match. I'm someone who burns calories quickly, so I yeah. got to make sure I have all of my snacks for before the game, halftime, after the game. Um, and then I make sure my ref gear is totally packed. I've got a full duffel that has all of the jerseys, all of the gear, <laughs> all of the things you could think about. Um, referees are kind of dorky. We like to collect flipping coins and we share them around the nation. Uh, so that's really fun. So I've got a, a pack of those because you always got to do heads and tails. You have special coins for that? Yeah, we have special coins for that. So like in Bozeman, um, we had the students at Bozeman High create our most recent flipping coins. Gotcha. And the art department there did that for us. And so we were just like, whatever you guys think represents Montana, let's put it on a coin. And so on one side, they have a moose and the other side, they have a goose. <laughs> so instead of asking heads or tails, I always ask moose or goose. And, um, and then you can trade those out with referees from around the country. And can. so, yeah, okay. Yeah, so I've got almost all 50 states. <laughs> I know it's super dorky. <laughs> it's a referee thing, I think, maybe. <laughs> For sure. It, it sounds like um, the kids at the Little League World Series trading pins and stuff. But, Pretty much. But very cool. Uh, yeah, so players, they trade pins. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah. In the game, what's your what's your flow of consciousness like? It's different whether you're in the middle, whether you're refereeing or you're assistant refereeing, whether yep. you're running the lines. So, okay, in soccer here, you have the referee in the middle of the pitch watching everything that's happening, and then you have you have one assistant referee on each side running the lines, looking for offsides, mm -hmm. um, looking for fouls on that side of the field, et cetera, um, just to explain it to people. When you're in the middle, what are you looking for? What's your flow of consciousness? How aware are you of you know, what your positioning is, where you are on the field? Yeah, so um, it's all pretty well structured for a referee. We give you a lot of um, description as to where you need to be on the field and why and at what times. Um, there's channels that you're running through. You're always kind of wanting keeping the ball and the play to the right of you so that you can see through play to your uh, assistant referee with the flag on the side. You want to keep play in between you two so that you both have an angle of view. Um, the best thing to be able to do is always be able to see between players, keep a distance from the ball so that you're not being interfering with the play, and then keep yourself within distance or um, sight view of your assistant referees, just depending on, you kind of run this big S curve, um, sometimes an infinity symbol through the field into those different quadrants. Um, the biggest thing is eye contact on the field. I mean, you are like probably communicating with your other referees 80% of the time, um, non-vocally, 
sometimes we wear headsets. Um, that's if you want to buy them because they're expensive. <laughs> uh, a lot of colleges do it now. They offer them to the referees, which is great. But in our youth and high school matches, we just communicate with little hand signals, um, flicks of the eye, little like head nods. I mean, our, our communication isn't seen, but it's it's heard between the two or three of us, which is really great. That has to become easier the more that you you work with a crew, right? Do you usually have a crew who you're with for an entire season, or you Not you're even bouncing? Close. Yeah, you're bouncing yeah. back and forth a lot. <laughs> Absolutely, you you'll probably maybe work with the same crew one other time that whole year. Um, definitely those one of those two people, possibly. Yeah. Uh, but there's no way that you're going to have you know that many possibilities and have them run up again just with the schedule and how things work. Um, so there's a general rule of thumb for communication, but other than that, you kind of have to just feel it out and trust your referees that they know what they're doing. Uh, but you also get to the field an hour before the game. And so you have these conversations of, these are my hand signals what are yours? Let's figure out how we can communicate together over the next 90 minutes. How many relatively high-level refs are there in the state of Montana right now, like high school, college level? We're really, really dwindling. It's gotten, it's pretty sad. There's a big gap between our youngest referees and our oldest referees, and there's not a lot in between. I would say five to seven. Wow. And you're three-person crews. Yes. We have people that come in from out of state when it comes to college. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's maybe seven to 10, but really there's not many in, in Montana. And high school and youth, we have maybe 100. Wow. It's something that we've seen a lot and we, we talk about it on the radio a lot. The dwindling participation rates for referees, as Jordan mentioned, we see it in every sport. We see it in, in football where they're having to move high school games to Saturdays because there, there aren't enough refs in the state. We see it in basketball. I love Jordan talking about you know some of the reasons behind that, some of the abuse that they're getting, some of the reasons why refs don't want to come back after a year, why they try it and fall out. It's an important topic. We're going to keep talking about it. It's something where if you're interested in it, it's a great way to stay in the sport. It's a great way to make money. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to stay connected to it and to help out your community because youth sports, I mean, even the kids running around playing four-year-old, five-year-old soccer, it's it's a great thing for the community, but that can't happen without referees. Little PSA there, but it's such an important topic. Jordan, do you have info for, you know, if people are interested in, in getting started where they should go? Yeah, so we have a we have a main website that's just Montana Youth Soccer Association, and on there we'll have links to becoming a referee. Um, 100% go look at those and just even understand what Montana Youth Soccer does for our community. Um, and the, the best thing that I think we could probably offer is our experienced referees can partner with newcoming and younger referees, and we can be that, that set of debrief like my dad was for me, and we can partner with them, go to their games with them, them, help them and then build that retention rate and help them understand that while they're feeling this abuse and, you know, this overwhelmingness to maybe not want a referee again, you know, you just got to got to brush it off your shoulders and come back because it's for the players. It's for the kids. And being a referee is just a great character builder. I mean, the amount of confidence and personal growth that you can have as a referee is, is tenfold for any human. It's an important message. Jordan, a little bit back to the field here, because I just still have so many questions about what, what it's like. Mm-hmm. What was the, the toughest call for you, or what still is the toughest call for you? What's the, what's the toughest situation? I think any referee will have to agree that making a decision in the 18 of uh, in the goal area is always really tough. 
Um, you want to be 200% sure that if you make a call and it's going in towards the goal, that you are just, you know, you're sure, 100% sure that your ARs are sure. Um, the toughest call, I would say, is standing your ground when you know you're right and everybody in the whole stadium is against you. That can be really, really difficult. And sometimes you just know it's okay that, you know, next game will happen. So. And that has to be confidence built up over. It gets easier the more that you do it, right? Because yeah. you have more confidence in yourself. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I study this game more than a lot of people. So, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it does. You, you study it, you learn it, you become, you eat, sleep, breathe, refing, And then uh, you have that confidence to be able to make those calls. And I think the hardest thing is, is just knowing that like you're doing a good job, even though everyone else might not think so. And they're going to go home and say how bad the ref was. And you're going to go home and be like, wow, that was so tough, but I killed it today. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this all the time. What if, in fact, it's nobody's fault? So often we want to say, well, we lost the game because of this, that ref, this coaching decision. What if it's nobody's fault? What if it's just the result of sports? You win or you lose. That's it. Great feedback, great insight. And, uh, really interesting episode of Soccer in Snow and Smoke. It's our footy 15 excerpts from Soccer in Snow and Smoke. A couple times a month here on Nuanas Now. It's presented by Flanagan Motors. Tune in here always uh, to hear footy 15s and tune in to the Nuanas, or excuse me, to the Soccer in Snow and Smoke podcast available on all your podcast hosting platforms for all things soccer. Thanks to Zootown Sports Cards and Blackfoot Communications for the continued support of that great podcast series. Tommy is going to swing by. At least I hope so. If not, we still have other stuff to talk about, too. That's next. Keep it right here. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio. At Jewelry Design Center, they can make anything you desire. We have branded jewelry that you'll see across the world and the country. And you have full access to our full manufacturing shop. You can look in the case. You don't have to start out designing something. You can see anything that we have in the case that customize it for your personal experience. Jewelry Design Center, now open in Missoula at 2501 Brook Street, across from the Montana Club. Jewelry Design Center, your jeweler for life. This is Nuwana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. This was going to be super funny because I uh, invited Tommy to come on. and then Hello. It became a game time decision, but I was going to play some Def Leppard because I knew that was going to be to his complete and utter consternation. Really? But it's, did you like Def Leppard? Sure. Yeah, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they're place and time. So uh, what was that that we were just coming back to? That Steve Vai. Little Steve Vai. Greenish Blues from the new record In Violet, and you should listen to my new interview with Steve Vai. It's the most, un- you think your show is unhinged? Listen, man, talking with this like like virtuoso of rock in the 80s was oh, yeah. the most off-the-rails conversation I've ever had with any rock star, and it was amazing. And that's my favorite song from the record, hence why it's the intro today. Well, there you go. Uh, Tommy joins us Tuesdays most times because he jumps over right across the hall about, oh, I don't know, 10 minutes from now, and uh, rolls on the new show from 6 to 7 on the trail, 103.3. Listen to Juan is now, by the way, on ESPN Radio. Um 
So 6 to 7 every Tuesday on the trails, the new show. But we'd have a new extension sort of in collaboration kind of uh, of the new show, the uh, Indie Top 5 podcast, which that's what this interview is on. Yeah, man, the uh, Indie Top 5. Thanks to our great uh, friends at Blackfoot Communications for their continued support of all of this stuff that we got going on here uh, at ESPN, at the trail, all that stuff. But this has been quite the deal. Oh, buddy. To get this podcast. So we have a podcast. I just sit here and talk. We podcast the show. That's pretty simple. It's really easy. It's very straightforward. Yeah. When it comes to having a podcast about music, you have to have all this copyright stuff. So this is yeah. like a breakthrough. Yeah. Tommy's been working on this thing for seriously years. And Literally now we, years, yeah. Now we, have, we have it. We have a music podcast here it's, at Missoula Broadcast. So pretty cool. Yeah, it's super duper exciting. This goes back even to when we were in our old location, Coulter. You know, I worked with some other broadcast facilities that are noted for being the only handful that that have music and podcasts. We can go right. way down the rabbit hole on all the problems and the issues and everything else, but uh, uh, we had it set up and it was working, and then one of the big players, Spotify, said, uh, you know, you can't put music in your podcast. So I went back and forth with them and did this whole thing, and then they ultimately revised their terms and conditions and said, regardless of the uh, uh, copyright clearance that you may have, Unless we are being paid for the song that you're listening to, you may not have any music on this platform. So, you know, the golden handcuffs, man. Uh, but that has now been circumvented and changed. And so I'm able to do this really cool, immersive uh, music podcast interview experience. So Steve Vai can talk about elements of his new record and what went into a certain song, and then we can play that song. So if you're a Spotify premium member, you can then listen to it in full in the podcast, and then we go into a separate se a separate chapter or segment. It's cool. But uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know that Def Leppard is as cool as Steve Vai. He may have played with them. I don't know. He uh, played in a lot of bands. This guy is in his free time when he's not a rock star. Get this. 630 pounds a year of gold liquid honey he harvests Whoa. from his beekeeping operation. <laughs> See, this kid's like my hero. The, the, Amazing. The key to sustainability in life is the bees. Don't kill the bees. I promise. If we kill all the bees, it's bad for the whole world. You can't I kill promise. the bees. What time is it? Do uh, we, have time? Uh, we, we, uh, we have hardly any time. But go really? subscribe to the top right. five indie podcasts on yeah. all your various podcast hosting platforms. Also tune in from, five, uh, from 6 to 7 uh, every Tuesday on uh, the Trail 1033. Did you get your steps in today? Uh I, I've been I've been trying. It's a lot of a lot of office work today. I made Tommy walk to and from Kobe the other day. So I thought for sure he was walking me out to my own death. I was like, I said, he's what's like, going on here? He's like, why do you want to walk? Why you want? I'm like, I don't know, because it's the middle of summer. I want to get my steps in. I feel like I live in a cage. <laughs> I'm just trying to be outside. Uh, we have to end this though with uh, telling Tommy great congratulations, uh, both for his winning of an EB Cranny Award this last weekend, yeah. as well as representing us here at Missoula Broadcasting. We ended up taking home five Cranny Awards, which we're very proud of. Amazing. Uh, but only one of us could go, so we were just laughing, thinking of Tommy going <laughs> up to the stage to get everybody's award. Everybody's probably looking at this guy like, okay, so this guy's got his own table. He uh, is sitting there, and he won half of the radio awards at the banquet. That's I pretty cool. I sure felt like the mystic guy, because you know, you'd have eight people at these banquet tables. Totally. And get this, they pre-sat out salad and chocolate cake, Coulter. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. Rachel and I ate eight slices of oh, cake. Oh. Tucker, Zero salads. Tucker ate all the cake last year before dinner <laughs> even started as well. Uh, congratulations to all of our colleagues, including Tommy, for their uh, EB Creative Thank Awards. Thank you, and congrats to you guys and Andrew and Jeff. You do phenomenal work. You deserve that recognition. Speaking of the Cranies, Montana TV sportscaster of the year, Sean Rainey, will join us tomorrow. And a bunch more. We'll see you then. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio.
Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia. When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 